Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. It's been quite the busy week. There's um, some of Biden's nominees have had significant backlash in the confirmation hearings. As we're recording this, CPAC is underway and it's first day on Friday. And already it is, um, it is very interesting. There's also the stimulus bill. It is, um, as we're recording this in the afternoon on Friday, it'll probably be passed in the House by the time you listen to this, maybe in the Senate if things move fast enough. And we also have the Equality Act passing the House and probably going to do so in the Senate by the time you're listening to this. So right now, um, first story, uh, Nira Tanden, the uh, nominee for Office of Management and Budget Director, Deb Holland, nominee for Interior Interior Secretary, and Javier Becerra, nominee for uh, Health and Human Services Secretary, all had bumps in the road. And um, let's start with Tanden. So... And Indian American woman, she's a fling activist. I believe she ran a Democratic Party backed think tank or something. And a lot of she had a very active Twitter account. And so there, a lot of the Republican and moderate Democrat pushback to her is because of that active Twitter feed attacking Republicans, some name calling. So over the over the week, um, Susan Collins, Republican from Maine, and Joe Manchin, Democrat from uh, West Virginia, said they're not going to vote for Tandon. As of right now recording this, Lisa Murkowski is staying silent, has, has not said who she's voting for, who she's voting for Tannen, but if I take a guess, she's probably not, which means nomination's already sunk because 50-50 Senate. And um, yeah, Joshua, what do you think? Yeah, well, it's a shame the Tannen uh, nomination has already sunk. This is a slight vote for Biden. It seems he'll have to nominate somebody else. But um you know, it is a shame that Joe Manchin has just become so important for the Democrats in the Senate, because as you said, it's a 50-50 majority. And Joe Manchin, he's a Democrat from a very, very red state. And often he'll have to cross the line to remain popular with his constituents. So really, if Manchin's not going to vote for him and, and other Republicans won't, that means Democrats can't get their agenda done, such as confirming, you know, some of Biden's nominees. And unfortunately, Tandon fell into that category. Right. I just want to point out that um, two counter counter bottles to the Republican position right now. One is that uh, Trump tweets, there's no explanation needed there. And the other is uh, Kavanaugh. So remember in 2018, where the um, hearings of the opening statement, the one that was parried on SNL, Justice Kavanaugh basically went to a tire rant about, you know, attacking the Clintons, the media, Democrats in the committee talking about, you know, political hit jobs, pretty much everything that comes from like the, uh, the Giuliani playbook. Whether Kavanaugh sexually assaulted Christine Bossi for or not, whether he did or not, that rant, we all know it was on national television. We know that rant happened and that rant was completely disqualifying. He's supposed to be a judge. Supreme Court Justice is supposed to, you know, go into a politically raised rant like that. And yes, he apologized, but come on. Collins and Manchin, who are voting against Tandon, Voted for Kavanaugh, and yes, it was mainly it was mainly about whether he sexually assaulted Professor Ford or not. But with their votes, they basically said, "Oh, it's okay that he uh, went on a rant like that. It's okay for Supreme Court Justice to uh, basically attack a entire political party like that." 
But something you've got to keep in mind is that nominees are very different from Supreme Court justices. Trations, you know, they come and go, right? Every four, eight years. But justices stay on forever. I mean, Amy Coney Barrett will probably be on the court for like 40 years. And that's why, despite the fact that Republicans went against everything they said in 2016 and nominated Judge Barrett, even Mitt Romney voted for her. There's no way that conservatives would pass up, you know, an opportunity to shape America's justice system with a conservative image. And now there's a massive conservative majority on the court. And that's why when given the opportunity, they'll vote for, you know, whichever justices represent their beliefs best. Right. There, there, yeah, right. There's no real radical implication like that for Tim's nomination. I mean, why the, why the heck is Office of Management and Budget, which is a White House position, basically supposed to be drafting the budgets the president is supposed to recommend to Congress? Why is that a Senate confirmed position at all? In any case, Joshua, you want to you want to speak on uh, Merrick Garland? Yeah, I, I really can't imagine anyone voting against him because he was pretty popular with everyone, Republicans and Democrats. And he has repeatedly promised to keep the Department of Justice transparent, unlike with Bill Barr and Eric Holder. Merrick Garland, you know, from what I can tell from his hearings, he's an honest, smart man. He's a legal scholar. And he told a compelling story about his grandparents running from anti-Semitism and how he wanted to repay the country you know, with his skill set as a lawyer. And, you know, I could personally relate to that because I've always felt the same way about, you know, what I would want to do for America, to use my skill set to pay the country back because my parents are immigrants and my family is so appreciative for what the country has done for us. I think, you know, he deserved a spot in the Supreme Court, but I'm glad he at least will have the role of attorney general. Well said. Also, Deb Holland um, for Interior. There was some talk about Manchin voting against her because Manchin's from West Virginia, coal state. Holland is from New Mexico. She wants to increase environmental regulation, push push the country beyond beyond coal, beyond um, fossil fuels. But apparently Manchin is now voting for her, surprisingly. So are that first Native American cabinet secretary is coming. And then uh, Becerra for HHS. I mean, I'm going to leave this to Kevin Cruz, a historian from Princeton. He got into like a Twitter spat with Ted Cruz. Cruz is like tweeting about how HHS should be run by a doctor, it should be run by a medical professional. And then Kevin Cruz basically says almost none of the HHS slash HEW secretaries in US history have been signed to serve doctors. That includes the last one you happily vote to confirm. You know, Alex Azar, who was a pharmaceutical executive. But yeah, I mean, I also was kind of confused by this pick on some level. But I mean, I didn't hear about any, I didn't see anything disqualifying. As to why he shouldn't, he shouldn't be HHS secretary. Let's face it. Someone like Betsy DeVos was, was trending on Twitter and, you know, the talk of the town for a reason when that was brought up because, you know, you know, it's not like Becerra has no experience working in health policy. Who's attorney general of uh, California? He led the defense of Obamacare in the courts. And uh, story number two is CPAC 2021. Um, we'll even start with this one. You know what, Joshua, just... <laughs> I'll go first. You've been I'll watching some first. of it. Yeah, yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. First of all, it's pretty clear that, you know, the theme of CPAC this year has been Trump and Trumpism and also cancel culture. Their theme this year is America uncancelled. And uh, Donald Trump's going to be a speaker uh, on Sunday. But for now, we, uh, we've heard from famous uh, current GOP icons like... Uh, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, and Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. And I was watching the Ted Cruz speak. You know, usually Ted Cruz, he says a lot of nonsensical things, but he says it in a calm demeanor. 
you know, he's a lawyer after all. And But this time he was giving a speech as if he was at a Trump rally. I mean, he was yelling, he was screaming, he was ranting about how shows like SNL going bad because of political correctness and all of that. I'm just embarrassed for him, frankly. And really CPAC should be an event, a time really, for the GOP to establish where they stand on current modern issues, you know, issues that currently challenge us as a society. And when it becomes, you know, just a massive Trump fan club, you know, you know that the GOP is in a really, really bad state right now. Right. I mean, as you said, America uncanceled. They had to literally cancel a speaker because his Twitter feed consists of anti-Semitic nonsense. What kind of organization is Match Lab running over there? He's a Trump sycophant thrown through. These guys aren't conservative. These guys aren't Republicans. They're just diehard Trumpists. Oh my God. Did you see the golden statue of Trump they were wheeling through? Insert golden calf analogy here. I mean, don't they hold up the Bible as, as this like the cornerstone of America? They should probably know the irony here. Yeah, I'm shocked they don't. And speaking of which, this is definitely going to be a massive step for uh, Trump establishing himself as essentially the Republican nominee for 2024. I mean, Romney has said that if Trump runs in 2024, he'll win the nomination. And I, I think he's right. And don't forget Mitch McConnell. He went on Fox and told Brett Baer that he would support Trump if he became the nominee. What civil war are we talking about when you say, oh, it's a Republican Party? No, it, it's dead. The, the, the Republican Party is already taken over by the Trumpists. The fact that McConnell, after that speech where he accused Trump of the insurrection and then voted to acquit him anyway, and it continues the obstructionism because that's how he works. And, and now this, I mean, this, I mean, this party doesn't care. Besides the Cheneys, besides the Brownies, this party, this party doesn't care about conservatism, doesn't care about the values. It's about troll the libs. We need to, you know, talk a big game about cutting taxes and the Bible and the deficit and God knows what else without actually doing anything policy-wise, just a bunch of, you know, slogans. And if you look at what the GOP is doing now, they try to, you know, victimize themselves as an oppressed party, as people that are being canceled for speaking their minds, without completely addressing the fact there's been a lot of racist rhetoric going on that they haven't really taken accountability for. You can't complain about taking accountability for your own actions. Oh, and uh, you in the future, by at the time we're recording this, play along with us as, as we play the uh, Trump bingo as he makes his uh, presumptive nominee speech on Sunday. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that speech. Third story is the uh, stimulus bill. By the time this episode is out, probably passes the House, the $1.9 trillion. Over the past week, the minimum wage, the $15 hour minimum wage, Part of the bill was struck down by the Senate parliamentarian. Basically, said you can't put that in the bill because um, it will be because it, it doesn't work with what's called budget recon- reconciliation, which and defines what can go in certain bills and what types of bills can be passed with a simple majority as opposed to uh, needing to overcome the filibuster. And so, you know, congressional GOP doesn't like it because they're kind of stuck in it, still stuck in 2010, the Tea Party years, but the you know the state parties and the governors and the mayors they actually like it a lot even though they've embraced you know trump more they don't care as much about limited government they're more for the social war culture war issues but they don't care about the spending they're more attached to main street than than the you know federal politicians so in case of point jim justice west virginia governor he said washington needs to you know go big the cost doesn't matter and biden has been trying to get gop governors on 
infrastructure and energy issues as a way to, you know, have some kind of support, even though it's not in Congress, some kind of support to really lobby the public and lobby um, maybe a few lone uh, senators to vote for his legislation. Yeah. yeah, Biden has been reaching out to, you know, a lot of members of the GOP, like you said, governors and also senators like Romney and Collins meeting in the White House to discuss it. And they've offered their smaller plans. They've also made clear that they don't support the minimum wage raised to $15. I understand why people would, you know, not like this bill because it's $1.9 trillion. And there are many Americans concerned about our spending. But once again, this is a pandemic we're following in so many ways. And the government, unfortunately, you know, needs to spend a lot of money to help its citizens. Like you said, Jacob, this will likely pass the House by the time, you know, you viewers listen to this recording. They'll need 60 votes in the Senate. So they can't just rely on their you know, 50-seat majority with Harris being the tie-breaking vote. They need to avoid a filibuster, so they need 60 votes. That means they need to get 10 Republicans across the aisle. For that minimum wage. Yeah, exactly. It just, unfortunately, you know, I would personally support the minimum wage being raised to $15. I think it needs to be raised to match the cost of living, which has gone dramatically up. But, you know, we need to pass this bill, first of all. I mean, there were already talks like Manchin or whether he's going to vote for the bill because the minimum wage is in it. I mean, that talk is now all, all moot. It's all it's now a non-issue because it's not in there. Just going back for a second, that $1.9 trillion price tag, and not only have I heard like the arguments like about the deficit from like the right, but from the left, Larry Summers, Clinton Treasury Secretary and Obama uh, National Economic Council chair, I believe. Yeah. He said that the um, you know it just it's too high actually because unemployment's falling, consumer spending is up, so that injecting so much money into the into the country that could cause more inflation, undercut future spending on infrastructure that Biden wants to do. In case I don't think that number is going to change, one point nine trillion. But I mean, I just say pass it and see what happens because people need their checks. Cities and businesses do need the funding. Schools especially need need uh, resources for. Uh, back for getting back to school in some capacity. And the minimum wage, I mean, personally, I think minimum wage should honestly be $20 an hour, given how much it was worth um, in, 19, in the 60s and 70s. 2009 was the last time the federal minimum wage was raised. Uh, that point, it was 725, still is today. So, well, I must say that, um, you know, it should be raised. And actually, Mitt Romney had a plan of raising it to $10 in, I believe, several phases. And that could probably be a decent compromise. I mean, it kind of lies in the center between $7.25 and $15. Honestly, I think it should be much higher than $10. But in politics, you've got to compromise. And we got I mean, it the best that we can get. I mean, Manchin was talking about you know having the $11, $12 minimum wage as, a, as another compromise. And also the insurrectionist uh, Holly, but he wanted uh, tax credits for people making less than six, $16.50 an hour as a way to like offset some of the expenses. And as soon as that you know, parliamentarian ruling came out, Ron Wyden and Bernie, the two like more progressives, they got they got to work and basically said tax deductions from uh, for uh, big uh, corporations, taking those away from from the corporations that don't pay their workers uh, the fifteen dollar an hour, and to uh, and to give the small businesses cash incentives in order to raise uh, workers' wages. If that's code for, for fixing the tax code and putting that newfound money into helping small businesses survive, that, that honestly could, could do it. Already, you know, a lot of America wants the broken corporate tax code fixed. So it could work. 
And our fourth and final story is the Equality Act. Uh, it already pa- passed the House and will probably pass the Senate by the time you're listening to this. Um, the House vote had uh, three Republicans joining the Democrats. And the bill basically says the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that said you can't discriminate on the basis of sex. Um, this bill basically says that language sex, it gets expands to include sexual orientation, gender identity, covering uh, all LGBTQ plus community. And so that basically comes off a, uh, a Supreme Court ruling from last year that basically said that the word sex in the, Civil, in the 64 Act did include LGBTQ plus Americans. So this bill basically puts the language to shore up the original legislation. Considering it's still legal in dozens of states to deny housing, education, and jury duty to uh, LGBTQ plus people, this is important legislation. This is good that this is finally getting passed. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, what I noticed was this passed 224 to 206 with free GOP members during the Dems. I was actually surprised by that. I mean, only free GOP Congress people. I wasn't, you know, aware that LGBTQ rights was still a partisan issue. And I'm quite disappointed it's still a partisan issue. I mean, since 2015, when the Supreme Court made gay marriage legal nationwide, I really thought that they would stop being a partisan issue. I'm quite disappointed by that because honestly, you know, even though us, our generation, Gen Z, we, you know, for us, it's not a problem. You know, you've got to remember that there are pretty much people who make up the Congress. They are, you know, mainly baby boomers and older people. And for them, you know, it's probably still a social issue, which is a shame. But I'm glad that at least for our generation, it will not be a political issue. And we embrace the fact that our society is diverse and that there are different types of people. Especially a transgender community, because Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, again made the news because she basically tried to troll uh, Congresswoman Marie Newman, who, uh, who originally put up a, a transgender pride flag in honor of her daughter, who's transgender. Green basically put up a, a sign right across from her in the hallway, basically saying, you know, you know, trust the science, men are men, women are women. And she also tried to delay the vote on the, on the bill. I mean, one, it's performative politics. It's not really, it's not, it, one, it shows that a lot, a lot of the culture war nonsense is not really about policy. It's just, you know, grandstanding. Two, not only is it just disgusting and hurtful, but it's a pathetic attempt yeah. to resurrect, like, like we said, nearly a dead issue for a, lot, for a good chunk of the country, Gen Zs and Millennials, even um, older generations, they're increasingly okay with it. It's pretty cathartic given, you know, Green's antics. And I'm glad a Congresswoman uh, Newman who stood her ground, who fought back against, you know, Green's nonsense. that concludes this episode of Gen Zers Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zers Talk Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zers Talk Poly, with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time.